Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Suma. Suma, thank you very much for coming on. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you're looking to find your edge in sports betting or racing, you'll need to visit the Betfair hub. From analysis to betting psychology, it has everything that you need. Simply visit betfair.com.au slash hub. Today I'm joined by Suma. Suma, thank you very much for coming on. Jake, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I've been a long time listener to your podcast and it's kind of a special feeling to be with you on air right now. Well, thank you very, very much. It's also a lot of fun for me, uh, given I spent some time in Munich and I learned a little bit of German and uh, it's nice to be talking to another German about something very interesting, which will be NFL, which will be some sports betting. We'll talk a little bit about your life and, and how you touch those different areas. But just tell us about yourself. It's not typical for a for a German or anyone from that part of Europe to be focusing on NFL. And, and I don't know if we have time to get into the, uh, the old days of NFL Europe and some of the very cool uh, team names from back then. I think some of them still exist. But just tell us about what led you into this world with NFL and obviously betting. Um, yeah, so um, in the 2000s, we had a sitcom, um, an American sitcom called King of Queens. Um, I think that most listeners will know that with Kevin James. Um, Kevin James is a big-time New York Jets fan, and, and during the sitcom, he has always watched football, talked about football and stuff. And um, I basically got interested in the American way of life, um, watching sports um, and stuff, and um, then in 2009, um, I coincidentally used to watch some Jets games, and um, I think it was the first season with Rex Ryan. I watched some football that season before, but in 2009, 2009 it became a little bit more intense, um, and I got hooked immediately. Um, I laughed at sports, uh, the complexity um, the various aspects of football and yeah from then on in 2009 I was a big football fan so do you have the Jets as your number one team at the moment or have you found a I wouldn't say better team but another team um yeah I I have a lot of sympathies for the Jets um I would call them my <laughs> my favorite team um even though as a fan of the Jets it's not always that easy <laughs> It's very difficult, and you probably came into the, as you were talking about, Rex Ryan, Mark Sanchez, some of the butt yeah, fumble exactly. stuff. It hasn't been a, a smooth ride over the last sort of at least five or six years as well. Yeah, I think that organization hasn't been run um, properly. Um, lots of issues in the management, um, coaching staffs over the years. And um, yeah, right now it's not a very good affair either. And I'm interested to see what they're going to do with Joe Douglas um, in his first full offseason. Plenty to get to at the Jets, but I want to ask Suma.eu or Suma.eu, as yes. some might say. Uh, you started a, 
essentially a an NFL betting sports betting website. There's write ups. There's you know blog posts. There's a lot of information on there, and those who are involved in this world will know about obviously your time with with whale and then some of the stuff you've talked about there and even some of those preseason shows there's a lot of valuable information how does one go from king of queens to jets fandom to nfl enjoyment to now being much more entrenched in this world and then putting the site up and having some deep dive analysis into nfl and some sports betting stuff um, yeah, so um, I started studying in 2011. I have a master's degree in business administration and engineering. Um, and um, during my studying, I worked as a journalist for a local newspaper. I still work as a journalist part-time. Um, so I always enjoyed writing. Um, and in 2009, 2010, I also dug into the world of betting. Um, started with a lot of um, live betting on stuff like volleyball and handball and so on. Um, I also paid for some services um, to get picks and information. And um, yeah, I kind of got involved more and more over the years. And in 2011 to 2012, um, I started um, posting my own picks on forums like um, it was called Ludox at the time or Covers.com, famous um, Canadian sports betting site. Um, and um, because I enjoyed writing, I always posted some thoughts or write-ups and analysis to my picks. And um, over the years when I was doing that, I real realized that there is some kind of a niche market, um, even in the forums, um, because um, there are only a handful of people who have good long-term records. Um, and there are only a handful of people who provide um, insight, information, analysis, um, and give their thoughts on their picks. But there was only a very small percentage that got merged both, both sides. So people that have a good track record and do some analysis for the other users in forums um, or on their blogs or on Twitter or whatever. Um, and um, over the years, um, my NFL records on covers, for example, they were always pretty good. Um, and I've, I've built a following. Um, I came to Twitter. I, I've built a bigger following. Um, and then in 2016, um, I finished my master's. Um, and I wrote about um, some stuff like statistical forecasting um, for, for sales and, and stuff like that. Um, and in 2016, I got my first job, um, which was kind of my, my dream job. Um, I had a one-year contract to start um, for a colleague that went to um, parental leave. Uh, that was my first job. So I basically replaced her in the, in the forecasting, sales, and operation, planning, process department. Um, and then um, during birth, she, she lost her child. Um, and then um, I got fired um, and then I had three months of free time and I decided why not um, taking my, let's say, skills to the next level and um, build a website where I charge money for what I do um, and that's selling picks and information and that's how I got into um, building the website, offering um, my service for the NFL season um, doing a lot of blogging um, and stuff like that. That's how I came into it. 
Interesting. So tell me, how would you assess your own style? And obviously with the education you have, the obviously business administration, engineering, it seems like you might be headed down a certain path. But for yourself, with your background, and I guess some of your early betting experience, and then thinking about NFL more directly, how do you how do you go about the analysis, the handicapping, the information, and then ultimately deciding which sides you like? What 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 type of person would you classify yourself in that domain? Um, I would still describe myself as a um, straight up handicapper. Um, I like um, using numbers and combining these numbers uh, with my let's say on field analysis. Um, um, I, I follow the sport religiously, like 365 days a year. Um, I study all teams and players. Um, I do a lot of um, analysis during the off-season, like um, finding metrics um, that are predictive, um, lo- lots of stuff about cause and effect, um, basically trying to educate myself more about the game, what leads to winning, um, what leads to covering the spread, um, and during the season, I try to combine all my knowledge, um, all the metrics I have available, um, and to come up with um, to uh, to come up with certain numbers and plays uh, that I like in a certain week. Um, and during the off season, um, last off season, I also started to learn coding. Um, I dug into R. The statistical programming language, um, which basically helped me tremendously, um, because um, Excel is fine, but I'm not that um, Excel freak, um, and using R really speeds up your process. Um, just about, for example, testing hypotheses. Um, I have so many ideas about the game um, to test some stuff. Um, which stuff is predictive, um, et cetera, PP. Um, and using R really is helpful to, to, to test some of your hypotheses um, because it's, it's really easy to, to, to write a few lines of code and to test some stuff. Um, and yeah, um, I basically um, try to handicap the matchup, um, try to use every possible metric I can. And uh, this season I also build a, a model that helps me get base numbers for spreads. Um, I built that model for the early part of the season um, because in the early part of the season, we don't have a lot lot of information. We can also use our um, preseason expectations, preseason knowledge. And I built a model that uses, um, let's say, preseason expectations and projections and turns it into win probabilities. Um, and then I use that to include it into my handicapping process. Um, so overall, I would describe myself, uh, I would still describe myself as a basic handicapper, but I'm getting more and more involved into the modeling side of the game um, because um, I think merging both sides um, can, can lead to some really good um, success. How much has things changed for you, I guess, even over the last three years? You talked about 2016 and what was going on in your life maybe back then versus now. You know, even in a three-year period, are you looking at completely different things? If you were to be parachuted back into your life as an NFL fan and a sports betting, you know, information provider, let's say, how how much have things changed or evolved or how much has the NFL changed and evolved and how much does that directly impact what you do on a week-to-week basis, for example? 
Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think that the NFL um, has not really evol evolved tremendously. Um, we had some rule, cha rule changes um, in the past. Um, we talk a lot about um, um, that it's a passing league and passing um, has evolved and is the dominating factor. But passing was already the dominating factor in like 2014. Um, and um, I think the biggest part right now is to figure out um, coaching coaching matchups. So that's what really changed for me and myself. Um, when I go a couple of years back, um, I didn't really think that there were some coaches that would make a lot of stupid in-game decisions. Um, like um, this year... A lot of NFL teams have hired some analytics people, um, quantitative analysts. Um, some teams like the Ravens are building um, analytics departments. And then there are some teams that uh, basically are left behind who don't use analytics um, at all. Um, and over the years, I have found out a lot more about these coaching discrepancies. Um, just that there are some coaches who... Um, have let's say wonky fourth fourth downs decisions um and there are some coaches that, that don't really know what they are doing um in game um, but i but i also know about that because i got um a lot more into the analytics of the game i'm learning more about the game learning more about um coaching tendencies and in-game decisions um just that pro probabilistic thinking um, and that's really hard to incorporate into your handicapping process um, because I think that if you ask 1,000 NFL fans or let's say 1,000 betters, um, everyone will tell you that um, John Harbour is a much better coach than Jason Garrett, but it's very hard to quantify that and to put that or to reflect that into a, a single number. Um, and that's really what has changed for me over the years, um, that while you are learning more about the game, um, you learn much more about discrepancies um, in the game, but it's still very hard to quantify them. What about capitalizing on those? Do you have examples where you might have identified clear discrepancies, whether it's uh, personnel groupings, whether it is coaches, whether it is, I mean, some people like to look at the schedule and find different spots that might be related to that, or even a few years ago it was... Uh, it was cool to see when the teams playing in London were going to get on the plane and fly over and how that would impact and things like that, even, you know, Mexico City and, and different uh, different unique elements that are certainly modern uh, to the NFL and how the, the different angles might appear. So with those in mind, what what's your process? You talked about before maybe coming up with some hypotheses to test, but you know, with all these different things going on in the NFL, even with flags and, and pass interference and some of the problems related to that, are you trying to find all sorts of different things and then capitalize on those through in-game betting, through only pre-game betting, through different uh, player props? Take us through, because I'm sure there's a million things you could do. What do you actually spend your time doing and in terms of capitalizing on that, on that and trying to, trying to provide value for, I guess, your clients, uh, customers, or even just thinking about betting markets? Um, yeah, so um, I have two good examples from from last year. Um, I think it was the wildcard round in the playoffs, and it was um, the Seahawks at Cowboys. Um, and I talked about um, the difficulty of 
quantifying coaching edges, but um, because I'm still a, a handicapper and I try to cap matchups and also coaching matchups, um, the Cowboys had a tremendous coaching matchup, um, even though it was Jason Garrett. Um, but um, the Seahawks were that one first team with Brian Schottenheimer, who um, continuously um, called runs, or let's say minus EV runs on first and second down. And um, they have that mindset of um, establishing the run, um, creating some body blows, um, and so that they can wear down defenses later in the game. But these are all myths that, myth that are already debusted by the analytics community. Um, and um, in that situation, the Dallas Cowboys had a really good um, run defense. They they had a top five run defense, um, and I knew that Brian Scott Nana would not change his approach to the game, um, that he would call his his many runs on first and second down again, um, and that was a very very key part for me of taking Dallas in that game. Um, I think it was minus two or minus one point five, and I just know that it won. Um, and um, that's really um, a situation where you can capitalize um, on coaching matchups um, because the Seahawks um, didn't have a great run game, but they wanted to run the ball desperately, and the Cowboys had a great run defense. That means that the Seahawks um, run into brick walls on first and second down, um, and then Russell Wilson has to play hero ball on third and eight and third and seven. Um, add into the mix some penalties and it was a lot of um, third and 15 situations um, and despite Russell Wilson being the super rare passer in this game um, it didn't mean anything because he only attempted like I don't know 16, 17 passes so um, that was a, a game where you had a significant coaching advantage and um, <laughs> you saw it um, on the field from from start to finish. Um, the next point, um, you mentioned the the travel aspect of the game. Um, back in 2014 and 15, um, I used to um, use a lot of situational handicapping. Um, but over the years, um, I found for myself that situational handicapping um, doesn't have the value it once had because um, with with the legalization of gambling, of betting, uh, we have so many media outlets um, covering the game from a betting perspective. We can argue whether um, most of them are just talking bullshit uh, <laughs> week in, week out. But um, there are a lot of situational handicapping approaches that um, were flying under the radar um, back in 2013, 2014, that are now very obvious and already priced into the market line um, and in addition I think that teams are getting better at preparing themselves for for big um, travel spots and for example this season the Tampa Bay Buccaneers they had a stretch with I think five or six games on the road and before the season started they hired um, a team of uh, let's call them travel specialists um, with some doctors who um, developed some sleep optimization plans um, so that the Buccaneers players would have the perfect treatment on their on their travel travel um, spots, um, on their flights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the teams are 
um, getting much better in preparing their players and teams for um, difficult spots. So overall, um, I think that situational handicapping isn't as um, dominant as it once was. Do you have the luxury of thinking ahead, maybe one, two, three, four years, given how much things have changed and how much things might change to try and, I guess, predict what might be useful and start looking into that? Because I would imagine, you know, time in the off season, you can look at a number of different things, but as more ideas come to mind while you're watching games on Sundays and things like that, do you ever think about, you know, what metrics might be important moving forward so you can start uh, programming for some of those and putting some of those in your handicap? Um, yes and no. I would say that I don't look ahead like um, one, two or three years. Um, but um, just right now, I have a lot of ideas that I want to test in the off season. Um, I'm making a lot of notes um, during, the, during the season when I watch games on Sunday um, that and for example, sometimes I have an idea that pops up um, when having a shower um, and then I just um, take some notes and um, I keep that in mind so that I can test that in the off season when I have more time. Yes, of, of course. So one thing I recall, and I've obviously grew up in Australia, I actually lived in, in Munich in Germany for a while, spent some time in some other places and now living in the US is that especially on NFL and even college football, the different approaches from the different bookmakers in those marketplaces vary. And one example back when I was living in Australia was college football in-game totals weren't very good, and maybe they weren't very good everywhere back then, but there were certainly some challenges. I remember watching some of the Pac-12 games and thinking, you know, some of these, uh, certainly Washington back then was very strong. Oregon with Chip Kelly were very strong in terms of scoring. Um, some of those other teams, Arizona, Texas Tech, that it was very obvious that if, if it was 7-3 at the end of the first quarter and the total was in the 70s or 80s, that um, they were probably their algorithm wasn't equipped for how quickly some of those Oregon and Texas Tech teams could score. Have you noticed anything around that when you talk about sports betting in jurisdictions where you are or different territories uh, where you might be able to apply your skill set and your knowledge and take advantage of situations? Um, to be honest, um, I have... Uh, not really a clue about live betting. Um, that's something I want to look at um, in the off season because um, right now I, I I only handicap and bet on NFL um, in the pregame markets. Um, but um, from talking to other people, to other sharp handicappers, to other sharp minds, and also reading the the, the logic of sports betting, um, very good book, um, highly recommended to read um, and. I get the conclusion that um, live betting is exploitable. Um, it's, it's not like, probably not a, a money-making machine, but I think um, if you are um, kind of smart and um, you spend some time and have some good ideas, I think you can build some models um, where you can get some value fr from live betting um, or like um, second halves or etc. Um, and that's definitely something I um, want to look at uh, during the off-season. Um, I want to build on my coding skills and um, try to build a model for uh, one or two um, other markets. Um, and I think that live betting could be an option for me to just dig into and, and see what I can find. Yeah, it's an interesting one. What about the markets, the sports betting markets generally, but more specifically on NFL, obviously, 
NFL is probably the, the number one sport in the world on a per-game basis, depending on how much you look into soccer or if you localize it. But I, I think the, the one interesting thing is how people, I, I guess, look at markets. And, for example, season wins. Uh, some people value those and weight those a lot, certainly in their early season numbers, and it's one of the few metrics you can kind of get uh, in week one, week two, week three of NFL. But just generally, how do you think about markets for NFL? How do you value them? You know, openers, do you think they're maybe a little bit more exploitable because it's obviously one opinion, but it does include, you know, weeks and weeks of uh, of closing lines and it includes a lot of scores and results and statistics. But what is your general theory or approach when it comes to those types of things? Um, I think that... Um Closing line value is the most important thing when it comes to NFL markets. Um, you should always look to get the best number possible. Um, and over the past two to three years, I I learned a lot about um, NFL markets, um, talking to a lot of betters um, and also, um, let's say, um, some really sharp and big betters. Um, and when it comes to NFL, um, so people always say that markets are becoming more and more efficient. And um, while that has been true, you can see <coughs> sorry, um, the development, let's say, over, over the past 10 years, that the um, NFL spread has become more efficient. Um, totals, not so much. Um, I think totals are still not um, as efficient as the spread. Um, but um, it's in a... In such a liquid market like the NFL, it's so important to get the best number. And um, that was a common topic on, on gambling twi Twitter over, over the summer, um, where some people still think it's all about winning and not getting the best number. But uh, when it comes to NFL markets, um, I think every bookmaker and every sharp um, gambler will tell you that that um, the most important thing is um, getting the best number, um, not getting beat by the market. Um, and yeah, closing value closing line value is first a good indicator of how good you are at betting. Um, and when it comes to NFL, where you have to deal with spreads and totals, it literally wins you more bets over the long run. Because when you bet into um, good numbers, um, you are always going to have um, um, bets where the final score lands between your bet and the closing number. Um, I think over the past two seasons, um, about 30% of my ROI was um, a direct um, result of um, beating the market and getting the best numbers. Um, when it comes to betting markets um, nowadays, um, you mentioned earlier in the week, um, the fascinating part is that um, you see a lot of setups. Um, for example, you have a clear view or a clear opinion where a number might move um, let's say a, um, a certain total um, you make the number 38 it's currently 40 um, and you think that the market will catch up to that um, and suddenly um, on tuesday morning the number is 41 um, and um, that doesn't really tell you whether it's um, a market move towards a more efficient number or it's just a setup by some big, um, big, big market movers who um, drive a price up um, and then bet the, the better price. Um, um, so um, that's really the the most difficult part right now 
to understand which moves are setups for for some sharp groups to come down on the other side and which moves are really um, a, a natural market reaction towards a more efficient number. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting topic and there's a lot of thoughts and theories out there. One thing I wanted to ask you, and you may not have a perfect answer or thought too deeply about it, but a lot of people's default thought is that the NFL markets are efficient and I think most people would generally agree with that. Have you thought about it on a more granular level a granular level in any direction? And for example, you know, on a team by team basis, whether or not a team is as efficient as it should be based on uh, maybe line movements, based on a number of different things. And I think for example, obviously the Patriots always come to mind when thinking longer term, but uh, you know, you would think the Patriots are pretty steady over a decade of, of solid results and Super Bowls and coaching stability, quarterback stability, yet um, a lot of the metrics tell you that they can cover better than most or they have certain uh, fumble or turnover luck that others might not have. And then you think about other teams that change their head coach and quarterback every couple of years and might be more dysfunctional and maybe they're harder to get right over the longer term. Have you thought about more granular level of whether or not certain teams are more efficient, whether it's coaches, quarterbacks, all those other things? Are there any examples that come to mind? Because obviously efficient markets means it's probably harder to find an edge but in doing through in going through the process there has to be spots you've got to focus on more than others um to be honest i don't really have a great answer for that um when we talk about the patriots i think over the years they um i think since 2010 they are the best covering team in the nfl um and i think um they, they are the best team against the spread despite um, having the the highest spreads um, possible. Um, so I think that even though a lot of models out there might capture their greatness, they are still um, a little bit ahead of the curve and there are some, some details that um, you can't really cover or incorporate into your um, modeling process. Um, for instance, um, the Patriots never had a great defense um, until this year. Um, I think they barely ranked inside the top 10 of certain advanced metrics like um, DVOA or something. Um, but um, the defenses of the Pats, they almost always ranked like in the top 10 in yards per point. Um, and they still managed to find ways um, to just outscore, outscore opposing teams. And I think that it's really hard to capture all that in, into a number and that's that's um, an example for why um, a team like the Patriots could cover, I don't have the number in front of me, let's say 62% um, over 10 years or, some, or something or even more um, So because they are just so good and such an outlier team that even the best models in the, in the world um, can't, can't catch these outliers. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating one. I wanted to ask, you mentioned DVOA do you rely or can you rely on third-party services to help with what you're doing? And I think uh, just generally, I think the the best third-party service that we all use that is free is the betting markets. And we obviously use the implied probabilities of the, the teams and, and whether it's, you know, whether they're going to win the spread and totals. But outside of that, do you think it's worthwhile to look at, I guess, allowing others to help your process and, and using their metrics, using their analysis, using some of their data that they've already uh, cultivated and, and obviously used to try and help predict performance. 
Um, yes, I think you should use that stuff. I, I also use um, DVOA. Um, I all, I'm, I'm also a premium member of Football Outsiders. Um, but um, the key point that um, I think some people don't understand is that um, these public metrics like DVOA, they are always reflected in the market number because they are just publicly available. They are good metrics. Um, and therefore, many people use them. Um, I think, um, I, I, I don't know, but I would guess that um, 40 to 70% of all models in the market, in the NFL market, use some form of DVOA um, just because it has um, such a very good um, descriptive um, value of what's happening in the NFL. Um, and so people want to use it into the models. And so when you use these metrics and, and look at these metrics, I think you should always use it as a tool, um, but don't um, simply rely on them because um, that's already reflected in the market number. For instance, um, last week we had the Browns against the Bills. Um, the Browns were two and six and the Bills were six and two. Um, and historically, um, that number should have been around um, Bills minus six. Just when you look at historic matchup from matchups from six two against two six teams, um, but the Browns were minus three at home, or let's say a soft minus three at home. And if you look at DVOA, um, the Browns were actually one rank um, ahead of the Bills in total DVOA. Um, that's because um, the Bills have played a very soft schedule. The Browns have played a tough schedule, and DVOA. Um, adjusts their numbers for um, strength of schedule. And I think that uh, most models deal with some kind of um, adjusted numbers for schedule. Um, and as soon as you use um, numbers and adjust them for the strength of schedule, you would come up with Browns and Bills being on a equal level. Um, so just by looking at DBA, you would probably have come up with with simply the market number so that's something to, to keep in mind that um, these public metrics are always reflected um, in the market price. Um, and therefore, um, I'm trying to um, use maybe some metrics that are not that publicly. Um, and I also try to create some of my own metrics, um, like I said, testing some hypotheses and testing some ideas and building some metrics is um, part of my off-season. And um, I think that's... that's um, very interesting that um, when you use public metrics, um, these are always reflected in the market number. So what amount of time do you allocate to the analysis and the handicapping versus looking at betting markets versus going back and looking at what's happened in the past and then trying to do a bit of a self-evaluation? Do you spend a, a large portion of your time doing certain things that you're better at or how do you think about how to, I guess, allocate time within your own process week to week? Um, during the season where time is rare, um, with, um, my, my part-time job and family and stuff, um, I basically try to focus on the weekly handicapping stuff. Um, on Mondays and Tuesdays, I, uh, do my, my recap. I, I try to watch as many games from the weekend as possible. I crunch some numbers. Um, I get new data. Um, I look at, um, team's performances um, and try to adjust them. Um, and um, yeah, that's pretty much my handicapping process then diving to the, the matchups on the field. And 
Um, usually, I, I have my leans for the upcoming week on, on Saturday. Um, I always go through the card and um, think about um, matchups ahead. Um, and then on yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I, I fine-tune my, my opinions, um, my handicapping process on the games. Um, and I think the self-evaluation part um, and trying to learn more about the game um, is pretty much um, in the off-season where you have more time and um, yeah, you are not dealing with, uh, let's say, Sunday kickoff deadlines. Tell me a little bit about how you go about watching games. Do you just watch them as a fan and enjoy them, or do you use them as a tool for your analysis and handicapping maybe? Or I, it's it's always a balance, I would imagine, between someone like yourself who is obviously analytics-driven, data-driven, and has a, a certain way to think about NFL, yet the fan part of all of us and that gut instinct part and you know seeing some things on the field that may not necessarily marry up perfectly with the data but it feels right in our bones how do you how do you go about it do you make notes do you just watch it for fun tell us a little bit about that uh that's a very important part um, for me um i try to watch the games and um, try to watch um, very neurons uh, what teams are doing what what coaches are doing um which decisions um, these coaches make um, and I think um, even though um, I'm very data and analytics driven, um, I think that you always see some stuff on the tape that you can't find in the numbers. Um, for example, um, let's say um, the 49ers against the Cardinals yesterday. If you just look at the box score, you will find that um, Jimmy Garoppolo had two um interceptions deep into Cardinals territory um, and when you crunch some numbers like expected points added um, these interceptions will get waived um, very heavily um, but um, when you look at the game you realize that both um, interceptions are not something that is really sustainable in the long run I think one was tipped um, one was a, a, a really bad throw um, and the Niners were playing without George Kittle and um, Emmanuel Zenders, and they had some wide receiver issues um, for two weeks now. Um, and that's really something that is not sustainable in the long run. So going forward, I would not expect um, there are um, uh, mean expectations to be throwing these picks in the red zone, um, um, if you know what I mean. So um, I think watching these games really helps you understand and put some context on on team performances um, and also to to see what some coaches do for example um, if you see a team like the bears or the rams on sunday night um, there were two situations where they had a third and one um, their running their running back was lined up 10 yards behind the first down marker so 10 yards away from the first down marker um, and the offenses used a tight formation, um, took um, eight defenders into the box, and they and then they just call a straight up run, um, straight up the gut. Um, and I think the the Bears had some option pitch run, but um, these play calls don't make any sense um, on the field. If you watch these games, you think, what are these coaches doing? And um, this helps you. Um, I think understand um, coaching performances and team performances a little bit nuanced than just looking at some numbers. 
yeah, it pull pull your hair out kind of stuff every single Sunday with the NFL. Yeah. But anyway, hopefully it changes some point soon. Tell me a little bit about some of the big challenges that you're facing at the moment, whether it is on the the handicapping side, the analysis, or the betting side, or combination of both. What are some of the areas that you look at for the second half of the season, and maybe even in the off season, some newer topics that you're thinking about? You may not have answers yet, but that might be interesting to you to dig into. Um, I gotta build a model, or I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I um, gotta get a better, um, better system to um, evaluate or to to anticipate market moves. Um, um, I think um, over over the past three years since I've been running my service, um, I have a very positive um, closing line value. Um, I beat the market number seventy percent of the time, but um, I still think that's not enough. Um, especially in such a liquid market um, like the NFL. Um, so I need to do a much better job at anticipating market moves um, because um, if you can improve your closing line value and uh, let's say you get um, on a better number 10% more of the time, you are going to um, increase your ROI significantly. Um, and that's um, a, a key topic for me in the off season. Um, and over, over the next few, re- f- few weeks to just find a better way to indicate market moves and get better, better numbers in general. Um, and I'm, I, I'm still fighting with some biases. Um, so, for example, um, during the off-season, you find out some new stuff about the sports, um, um, some stuff that is predictive, some stuff that's not sustainable. Um, and during the season you still find yourselves in some spots on some games where you just disregarded that stuff that you have already learned and um, just um, getting caught um, with some of your biases. I think uh, that's something that a sports better has always tried to improve on and try to get better at um, to just work and, and um, very important, identify what biases you are dealing with and biases and what biases are in your way um, of getting better results in betting, and, and, and these are, I think, two aspects um, that I got to be better at in the future. And I um, also want to um, add more math and statistics knowledge um, to to my to my knowledge. Yeah, I think the bias one is one that's often overlooked, and people just uh, assume that they're running at optimized capacity when probably they aren't and there's things that are happening to them that are unconscious or out of their control or maybe they're not thinking about so that's a definitely a good point i want to ask what advice you have for fellow nfl you know friends and uh people that are looking at betting markets before i do i just want to ask about the the website and the service and what you provide what is the objective and the the mission or what is let's just say your next client who who comes along what are they looking to achieve by uh, getting access to to some of your stuff. Um, I think um, that when people pay for my service, they are um, getting tremendous value in that I um, am completely transparent, um, honest, and um, they really get um, long term winning, which is reflected in stuff like um, closing line value. Um, I think that the big problem with our industry is that um, 97% of 
pig selling services or information selling services are um, not really trustworthy and they are just coin flippers um, and um, you see that that um, you always only find um, these inflated records uh, with units and um, no one is telling you whether he's beating the market and um, I try my best to um, let's say be that outlier um, and I try to be um, what you should be in the, in this industry when you when you sell pigs and um, information, I think that's very important um, to to be transparent and to educate other people um, and to focus on the stuff that matters, um, like um, providing value, um, closing line value, etc. PP. Um, and yeah, um, what I also do is um, I, I um, write analysis, um, I give thoughts and. I, I let people understand my thought process um, behind every pick that I make. Yeah, you're right. It's a it's a challenging aspect of all of this, and it's certainly long term value for for people is certainly uh, hard to come by. So, final question: advice that you have for others? I'm sure people come to you, Fabian. What do you suggest I do? Let's just say they're they're not level zero at, at handicapping or sports betting or NFL, but they're you know level ten to twenty five out of a hundred. What advice do you have for those types of people who are looking to improve? Um, I would say that um, the number one concept people have to learn about is closing line value. Um, when I started betting in the early years, I didn't even know what closing line value really is. Um, I had no clue um, about markets, um, about um, how efficient markets are, um, why you should get the best number. I had no clue about that. And over the years, I learned more and more about it. Um, I surrounded surround myself with um, clever and smart people. And I really understood more about um, betting um, and markets and numbers and um, that not um, every spread is worth the same, etc. Um, and if I would could give someone one advice is um, buy the book, The Logic of Sports Betting. Um, and really learn about proper betting process um, that it's all about getting the best number um, I think that would be my number one advice um, because if you if you have that mindset that you always try to get the best number possible you are on a very good um, path to success very very good before I let you go just let those who are interested uh, your Twitter handle what's the best way for them to reach out and, and be in touch um, it's at Suma810, um, um, S-U-U-M-A-810. Um, that's where you can find me on Twitter. Awesome. Suma, thank you very much for your time. Uh, very enjoyable. I didn't think we'd talk about King of Queens and a few other things, but uh, next is mal, vielleicht wir können Deutsch sprechen, but for this one, we have to stick to English. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, best of luck for you for the rest of the NFL season. Jay, it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you and um, good luck. And I wish you very much success for your podcast going forward. I always enjoy listening. Awesome. Thank you, sir.